to Stuffed, Stuff Magazine's tech podcast with all the news about the tech industry that you need to know. You can join me, Toby Shapshack, every week with Craig Wilson, the editor of Stuff Magazine, where we will discuss all of the things that have been happening or will happen and why they're relevant for you. Well, Toby, I mean, I guess the obvious place to start uh, this week is a little look back at CES. It is the world's biggest tech show that happens every year in Las Vegas. I had the pleasure of being there this year, and it was as uh, frantic and manic as you'd expect. Uh, More exhibitors than you could possibly see in the sort of four allotted days. But as with uh, every year, a couple of obvious uh, trends emerging. Uh, On the sillier front, one of them was I've never seen so many connected devices for pets uh, anywhere ever yes. everything from fitness trackers like Fitbits to check that your pooch isn't getting too fat to GPS trackers so that you can find the cat when it goes walkies I mean it is quite remarkable I also had the pleasure of not going to CES this year I've, I've, been, I've been many years and it is it is really quite a thing but it is hugely overwhelming massive Uh, voluminous, cavernous halls at the Las Vegas Convention Center filled with uh, every manufacturer and every big and small manufacturer. But it is really an interesting way of seeing what is going to happen this year. It's very much industry focused, isn't it, Craig? That it tells tells everybody what to expect, what's coming down. A lot of televisions, a lot of the big name uh, manufacturers, Sony's, the Samsung's, the LG's, the Qualcomm's, the Philips, they all let you know what you can expect from them this year. Sure, with everything except mobile, really. So you see comparatively fewer phones than you do uh, at other shows. And this, of course, is because next month we have Mobile World Congress uh, taking place in Barcelona, as it does every February or March. And so you've got a lot of the big companies holding their phone announcements over for that. But as you mentioned, I mean, one of the big ones was TVs. Uh, that's where Samsung and LG, the arch rivals, uh, tried to outdo each other this year as they They've done in recent years. I mean, what's fascinating to me is that, you know, there was a time where when I bought my current television, I bought a Sony Bravia because it was the best quality TV you could get. Bravia was a brand that had probably a 30% premium, certainly in South Africa, over Samsung that was champing at the bit as the the world number two. Now, Samsung has completely overtaken it. and, And in the few years that it's taken me, you know, to live through the life cycle of this TV and want to buy another one... Samsung has been usurped by LG. LG for two years running have won our television of the year in the in the annual yeah. gadget awards. I mean, it's quite a it's quite a, a rivalry, and it just shows you how important competition is in this industry. Absolutely, and I mean, look, Samsung's still outselling LG, especially in the South African market, by a substantial margin. But that's Indeed. certainly shifting. And at the top end, I mean, at the top end, even though they may sell a fraction of the TVs, the top ends where all the prestige is right and it's about who makes the best top end television that you're gonna you know well not you or I but that some people out there are gonna spend six figures on and at the moment uh, there's no denying that the the sort of pack leader is LG and that's gotta gotta irk Samsung who turned around this year and said well we're not gonna try and match Samsung I mean LG's OLED uh, because that's really been the benchmark in terms of the hardware Uh, they're gonna put out their own thing that they're calling QLED which require involves some sort of change to their quantum dot 
uh, technology. Really, I think it boils down to them changing the materials they're using. But um, I mean, really, consumers aren't interested. I don't think in in more jargon or more uh, three or no, four letter I mean, acronyms. They're, they're, you know, it's just it's it's a thing that just makes people's eyes glaze over. Sure. I mean, you know, the the essence of it is OLED means organic LED. It's a brighter, crisper, sharper, blacker uh, blacks, blacker blacks. You know, that's those are the things. And QLED uh, means well, technically it means the same thing, right? Darker blacks, the ability to have brightness, variable brightness across the panel, so that areas that are dark in a scene and light in a scene can both be displayed with sort of equal luminance and and these sorts of things. But again, this is all really right at the top end of the market. I think what's much more interesting is in a year or two when this tech sort of begins to trickle down to the mid-range yeah, indeed, TVs indeed. that people can actually afford to buy. I mean, I did notice that LG's signature W was the thinnest TV yet or right, on display, yeah. and it really kind of stole some headlines. Uh, fascinating to me that there was a time where, you know, I, I watched the kind of the TV industry boast over who had the larger TV and it would be, yeah. you know, LG would come out with one and then Samsung and then Philips and then Sharp and then Sony and each one would be one or two inches bigger than the other one. And then a few years ago, as the technology started miniaturizing, suddenly it was whose TV is thinner, yeah. you know, and it's, yeah. and it's come down to the fact that these top end TVs are the width or the, the, the thickness of a pencil. I mean, that's really, really something. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I notice the difference. I upgrade probably every five years right. uh, televisions and the difference between the kind of big, thick, clunky thing you take down off the wall that, you know, is five, six, seven centimeters deep. You and know, requires and like eight it. inch bolts to hold it up. Exactly. I mean, it's just, it, it's a fascinating uh, change in, in the cycle of, of how we use TV, isn't it? it and you know what I think is interesting too? and something I hadn't really realized until later in my sort of time uh, in the US when uh, I went to see a, an audio design facility and they were talking about one of the challenges for them being that at the top end of the TV market, although most people who are buying a really high-end TV are buying a separate sound bar or surround sound system to go with it, not all of them are. And so there's also this expectation that they'll have incredible sound. And when you build a panel that's only two centimeters thick, exactly. that becomes incredibly difficult because the limits of what you can do in a speaker are really it's really just a physics thing there's only so much you know you need to move a subwoofer a certain distance to move a certain amount of air to make a certain amount of bass exactly. and that's nearly impossible in a two centimeter thick display so it's interesting to see how this balances out between the sort of quality audio and it matching these wafer thin panels that we're seeing and that's a that's an interesting facility because of course samsung is really after the, the that kind of extra value because suddenly it's no longer just about the screen quality as you say but the sound a lot of a lot of people do not have an extra sound system yeah and this is the thing for the sort of full experience that's what you want in like a, a home entertainment system but anyway I mean a lot of the home stuff while, while we're on the topic home stuff was another big focus and it seems at least that the front runner in the home automation space uh, not in terms of smart light bulbs or smart locks or this sort of thing but in terms of the system that's going to make them all play nicely together uh, it seems to be Amazon's Alexa it was the the home assistant that got the most uh, lines in and the most coverage by far this year indeed and and it's a very clever strategy by Amazon they have been tweaking and playing with Alexa using their own echo speaker for the last year or so and what they've done is open it up 
like an app store to a whole bunch of other manufacturers and other services and allow them to do, I mean, they don't call them apps, they call them skills. Suddenly you've got much more things that you can do with it and it's much more valuable. It was like, it's it's the kind of sea change moment that happened when Apple opened its app store. So instead of only Apple's apps on the Mm. iPhone, suddenly everybody could have an app. We know what a massive change that was to the way everybody operates in the world now people write apps for for phones not for uh, computers so what we're going to see as this evolves is more and more people creating services for alexa that makes it more compelling to use alexa i mean in south africa we don't have amazon prime which is you know one of the the great advantages of of amazon you have two-day delivery if not same day delivery you have access to the music you have access to the videos we've recently got amazon prime video in south Africa but this is a this is a useful evolution of computing isn't it because we're no longer trapped behind the triumvirate of the keyboard and the mouse and the screen yeah. speaking to the computer is by far the most natural interface isn't it and we're getting there I mean I think for for oldies like you and me it's taking a little adjustment I'm still I don't use Siri on my Mac very much for example you know it's there and I keep getting reminded that it's there but I haven't actually switched to using it but when I see you know friends of mine who've brought echo speakers in to the country and set them up so that for their kids this is just the most natural thing now you know and they just turn on and go hi Alexa you know what's the weather going to be like this afternoon hi Alexa what is you know the answer to this maths problem um, hi Alexa you know play me my favorite TV show and it, it is just incredibly natural and what we've seen too is the bonus I think of opening this is that the one criticism that I've seen leveled against the um, echo speakers time and again is that they're not particularly great speakers yes and so now you've got comp- you know third party He's building things like Harman Kardon equipped speakers uh, yeah, that address from the Nova. That excellent, yeah, excellent exactly. way to solve it. Huawei have included Alexa in their new phone, uh, Ford into putting vehicles, it straight yeah. into their car software. Suddenly, there's a look, you have to have an internet connection, that's how it works, but that's how all of these voice assistants sure. will work. You know, it's a it is that kind of sci fi like experience of talking to the computers as they do in you know Star Trek. <laughs> and I think um, the, the Lenovo and Huawei ones are especially interesting because that has got to pissed Google right off yeah, right? because exactly. instead of using Google Voice Assistant or the other sort of Android things um, here they've gone and uh, and sort of partnered with with Amazon but with the enemy this also just speaks to the strength of the uh, the Alexa sort of ecosystem that they're building I think it's a great move for them to open it up and I think again these are you know, more competition and it should just mean better services at the end of the day for uh, end users like us indeed and one of the great trends to come out of CES this year is, is real sophistication in the drones that are available, right? And, yeah, and uh, the range and the pricing. You know, the prices quite, are just plummeting. Quite something, isn't it? I mean, the very first time I saw and played with a drone was the first one, that very first early parrot. Right. A big clunky thing with these foam uh, rings, big rings around the, the blades. Yeah, I know exactly the one you mean. And I... I um, Parrot had a little uh, booth outside. The guy who was playing with it took a few photographs of me for me very kindly. And I remember the kind of groundbreaking moment where you could use a smartphone, it was only iPhone at the time, to fly basically a remote controlled helicopter, which is what a drone is, a quadrocopter. And it's been 
a, a massive up-ramp from that. In the very first days, they didn't quite know what to do with the drone except to inter, you know, entertain young kids. And now the applications are spectacular. You can shoot amazing footage. They use them in, in movies all the time. They're these guys in Cape Town that patrol off the coast to see where sewerage is being dumped. You know, there's a yeah, massive yeah. amount of, of good uh, and frivolous uses for drones. I mean, I saw it at WF in Davos. They had uh, they had drone guns that you know, they shot to bring the drones down. So suddenly they've become a part of our lives. The legislation is, is finally starting to catch up about what you can and where and can't fly. But... You know, you, you saw firsthand this year's drones are, are pretty sophisticated. You want everything from very basic hand-sized ones to incredibly sophisticated ones. I mean, really, the DJI still dominates that sort of that bridge between the consumer and the professional market. And the, the new Phantom Pro 4 is amazing. You know, what we've got now got as well are sensors that make these things so incredibly easy to fly. I mean, I haven't flown the, the Phantom 4 Pro, but I have flown the 4. And, you know, you can just do it straight out of the box. It's just the easiest thing. It's... You know, they used to there used to be the steep learning curve, and they used to be a professional tool. And now that gap has been completely closed. And anyone, I mean, really now it's just a case of can you afford it? You know, anyone with the money can now play. And yeah, all but, new but, industries are springing up around this. You know? Because so many of us have spent so long playing games on our phones, or you know, racing games, or flying games. Suddenly, people have the necessary skills to do what is actually quite a, a difficult, dexterous thing to fly a drone. I mean, I had a friend who was trying to build his own, and then went actually, you know it's just it's not worth the effort because I can buy such a great one off the shelf but anyway um, CES has, has been it's gone uh, it's given us a taste of what's to come and what to look forward to this year but there's a bunch of other news uh, some very specific news this week uh, one of them one of our most read stories on the site this week had to do with an announcement that came out of mobile operator Vodacom and they basically announced a version of Facebook Basics called Facebook Flex which means that certain very very basic uh, functions in Facebook will be zero rated if you choose to opt in. Now, there are a few problems here. Uh, the first one is that the functionality is incredibly limited. So what we're talking about really is text-based responses. So, you know, you can look at comments, you can post your own comments, uh, you can like things, but the moment you want to view or post a video or a photo, uh, you're going to have to switch over to the paid version. So I think that limitation is a huge problem. The other one is that you have to opt in and basically let Vodacom advertise that you're using Facebook Flex via Vodacom on your Facebook page. That's the caveat. That's the, t the T's and C's that, you know, we seldom read. And I think that's problematic. But also, as we've seen from India, most notably, there is a pushback from some sectors. Uh, there are there'd be sort of net neutrality concerns. And this argument is, well, yes, it's free. And that's the point that people often have a hard time getting past. Is they say, well, how can you moan about something that's free? But it's also a horribly crippled version of the service. And do we really want to be saying to the people who can sort of barely afford the crazy costs of mobile data, here you can have this version of Facebook, but it's a very, very bare bones one. And I think there are worries about that. You know, in a lot of, um, uh, there was pushback in India a while back that basically shut down Facebook basics saying, we don't want your scraps. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's that argument has a, a, a lot of sort of validity. It does. And it's interesting to see how it's panning out because, and I'm not sure where I fall on this yet. I mean, I, I, I err towards the side of, of net neutrality because ultimately you don't want any kind of control of anything. But, you know, there are two sides to this. One is you can give people a bit of the internet. Isn't that a good thing? If sure. you can only give them a walled garden, isn't it worth it that it's the walled garden that everybody 
plays in or yeah. the same park that everyone sends their kids to or should we be you know this is a shortcut from what ultimately needs to be done which is you know make data so affordable that everybody can be on the internet and it's as easy as you know a fiber home and say our stuff offices um, yeah. or you know is is giving them a, a limited walled garden version you know just duplicitous because it's not the real internet and it's and it takes away the focus and attention from everything else so it's kind of hard to say isn't it i sure. mean it's you know you you ask the average person who can only afford or can only use because they have a feature phone facebook basics and they're going to say to you something is better than nothing so yeah. it's a it's a difficult debate yeah absolutely but i was just intrigued to see the the sort of pushback as well from some folk about these sort of t's and c's because obviously um, vodacom's message has been exactly that that we're bringing it to people who who wouldn't otherwise have it and uh and i guess you know we shouldn't be too hard on them them for that anyway the uh, the interesting news is also that uh, uh nintendo is having a bit of a run at the moment the super mario run is coming to android woohoo yeah you've got to wait until March for it uh, oh, yes, but in the meantime well the other thing is it's going to be interesting to see how many people uh, take it up because it's not cheap right so it's a, it released on iOS uh, in December just in time for the festive season I've actually been playing it a bit I have too I thought I thought that's very nice of Nintendo give away such a massive potential money owner for free but only uh, I think what's it three three levels and the next thing you have to yeah. pay for it very sly a lot of and 150 lot of, rand no less yeah, a lot of backlash to that, and that's they they've been accused of of, of duplicity, which is you know dif- difficult to defend against because well, I mean, this try before you buy a model or you know, I mean, even relates to the sort of freemium model that you get basic features and exactly. then you pay more. I mean, it's pretty standard in industry. I think what people are balking at is the the quantum of the fee, it, which is weird because if you think about a, any other game, you know, you buy a game for a console, you're looking at upwards of five hundred rand. Exactly. So one hundred and fifty rand for a, a, a very well designed, well thought out mobile game isn't exorbitant. But I guess that that's not what we're used to. We're used to ten or fifteen or maybe you know, heaven forbid, forty games and here Nintendo has been very ballsy by uh, by asking for more but more interesting is just the fact that they've finally got games on mobile right yeah, they've held out for yeah. so long protecting their IP possibly protecting their, their own ways protecting their hardware yeah you know it's what Blackberry did to, uh, their, to their peril yeah exactly exactly detriment peril <laughs> amazing how these words suddenly come to mind when one talks about Blackberry right <laughs> well yeah, and you've got to think that this is good that they're opening up their licensing it for for other platforms because also you've got to license it for the platforms where people are and there is no gaming company better suited to the casual mobile gamer um, than Nintendo exactly and you've got to fish where the fish are speaking of hardware uh, interesting that Nintendo is finally coming out with their switch device which is kind of like a it's kind of it looks like the size of an iPad mini yeah. um, and has these funny little controllers you can put down the side and you can link a whole bunch of them up I mean is this a little too late for Nintendo in the hardware market sure. I mean, this is the thing, right? We had the you had the Wii, which was remarkable, and it, it introduced a new way of gaming, right? You waved the ones around, looking like a fool, but it was also as that's Mister Fool Mr. to you. <laughs> as as per Nintendo's usual proposition, the thing about the Wii was that it was so great for people who were new to gaming. It was non-threatening, like all of their stuff. You didn't have to be a gamer; you didn't have to be a hardcore first-person shooter gamer to play Nintendo stuff. So you had the Wii that rocked it. 
Then you had the Wii U that totally bombed. And so I guess with the Switch, you know, they're really hoping that this can be the console that brings it back. But I think there are a couple of a couple of obvious problems and concerns about it. The first is that they're only launching with one title, and that's a Zelda game, uh, and that's when they launch on the 3rd of March. Look, I think they might change that announcement before the time, but with all of these things, depth of catalogue really matters. The other problem is going to be battery life, that if this thing's portable, it's got to last for a decent amount of time, or, you know, that's it's going to be a non-stop. Uh, then you've got the Res, so it's a six point, I think it's a 6.2 inch 720p display. Now if you plug it into your TV it'll output full HD, but it's we've got people like Sony and uh, Microsoft with the Xbox who are already moving into the sort of 4K market. Um, so that's a problem, and the last problem for me is going to be the price. It's going to sell for $300, which in current RANDs is roughly four, but in realistic terms once we've had import duties and you know everyone's had their sort of pound of flesh. Four and a half. Five, four and a half, five. five. Now, yeah. now there, for that same money, you can buy an Xbox or a PlayStation. Yeah. And one of the things that Nintendo had in its favor was that it was so Cheap. much cheaper than the other consoles. Now that they're playing in the same leagues, um, well, I guess it's going to come down to catalog as well. But I'm just not convinced that people are, especially South African consumers, are going to be willing to hand over that kind of money um, when they could spend the same money on a what I guess people would call a more serious console. So yeah. have to see how that plays out. Indeed. But good to see Nintendo keeps swinging you know every now and again yeah. everyone says they're down and out out comes Pokemon Go fastest most downloaded app slash game ever that then you I know. suspect had similar fall off to its uptake exactly uh, just you know. as swift share price rocketed then they discovered that actually they'd only own 30% of yeah. Nintendo owned 30% of the company that made it and it fell and they, but nonetheless they just keep innovating and that's what I like about Nintendo is also you know I'm very uh, enthusiastic and nostalgic you know that yeah. they're bringing out that new little console that lets you play all the old very original games I'll be buying one of those yeah the only NES yeah that's a that's a great little uh, flashback to the past right and trading on the things that have sort of made them uh, such a great brand and that people feel such loyalty to anyway i think trading on the nostalgia is an absolutely inspired move because you know that's what people i think you know when people think of of nintendo those are the games they think of and pokemon go you know the fact that it was a board game you know rich maholland must be cheering sure yeah. Uh, Rich, in case you're wondering, runs, uh, does a column for us uh, now as of the last issue. Look out for it if you're into board games or tabletop gaming. And even if you're not, because he has a really good point. Physical social interaction was originally what all of this gaming was about. Yeah. Board games, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Risk, Monopoly, uh, card-based games like Pokemon, all of these things are the are the real origins of, of, gaming, uh, as we of know gaming as we know it. And yeah. that's also where I started out gaming and of course it, it's more real than sitting with a controller and you know trying to kill the guy next to you um, it's just a great interaction so thank you for joining us on the first ever episode of stuffed stuff magazines podcasts about all things tech all things mobile and all things craig wilson <laughs> thank you you flatter but i'll take it so uh, we'll be back next week to talk about amongst other things uh, what we'll be looking forward to at the uh, upcoming mobile world conference in barcelona indeed uh, mwc is the biggest cellular wireless event in the world it takes place in beautiful barcelona 
Um, and uh, we will let you know what to expect from new smartphones and new services and the return, somewhat triumphantly one imagines, of Nokia as a brand due to release a phone there. Yeah, I can't wait to see what they do with it. Anyway, until next week, thanks for joining us and we'll chat to you again then.